0: Hey, my name is Akash Dakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're gonna interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Marshall McGee. Marshall is a sound designer for video games who's worked on projects like Roblox, Just Cause 4, Outriders, and has even worked with high-profile clients like Nike and Adidas as well. Not only that, but Marshall has also created a hugely successful series of sound design videos centered around video game sound design. This is where he breaks down audio concepts to make them fun, appealing, and educational to people both in and outside the worlds of professional audio work. In this interview, we talk about getting that first job as a video game sound designer, the importance of showing up, how to build a network, the importance of making work for its own sake, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Marshall McGee. All right, so I want to start with that Skrillex moment for you, because we all have the Skrillex moment. Mine was Hot for Teacher by Van Mm -hmm. Halen, but I want to hear what went through your head when you heard Skrillex and heard the sound design in his tracks and how that changed your life.
1: Yeah, I think um, there's a couple elements to it. So, <laughs> what you're referring to, I think, is the moment where I heard Skrillex in high school with our friend Zach Heidi. He was sort of showing people music. He's kind of this piano prodigy in high school, and my friends and I all looked up to him. He was like three years older, and we were, and he was like, "Oh, you guys got to check out this guy Skrillex." And I was like, "What? That doesn't even sound like. Is that a band? Like, I didn't know what that was." So I sat down and like on the really early, cheap, terrible Apple headphones. He showed me reptile theme, I think, or maybe it was cinema or something like that, the cinema remix. But that just, I, I couldn't believe that someone sat down on a computer and was able to make those sounds, those growls, the basses. And I think that's kind of everyone in, into digital music's first reaction to Skrillex is like, wait, I didn't know you could even make that. Like, I didn't even know that was possible. So that totally happened for me. I, I was at, at the time in a class called... Um, we had music technology class at my high school, and there was music technology one and two, and I took them right away. I was, I was in those classes when I heard the music, and I, w- I came back to the class like the next week, and I was like, Wait, how is he doing this? And my professor, Professor Andre, wherever you are, love you. He was like, I have no idea how they're doing this either. So, so I was like, Well, okay, I got to do some work and find this out. So I think, like, you know, within a month, that became like a project I was doing at school, was like trying to make a growl bass. You know, and so that just got me hooked right away on sound design. I I wasn't really into sound design before that. I was playing guitar. I was into music, but Skrillex was my first real exposure to like proper sound design and uh, synthesis. And so, <laughs> for so for you, it was Van Halen. That's funny because uh, I think everyone has that moment where it's like your interest in maybe music pans out to something more technical and more geeky and more gritty and more wait, what's going on here than just like practicing guitar all day, which was fun for me. So yeah, that was my first moment. And uh, my love of Skrillex has not died even a little bit. I still love Skrillex. I listen to him all the time. And I still think he's like the master. But yeah, so that's where it all started for me.
0: And there's a moment somewhere in there where you said, all right, I'm going to go to Emerson. I'm going to go to Boston and study media arts where was that kind of inflection point? Was there a push to getting into it? Did you have people around you saying, "No, go be a lawyer, go be a doctor." Like what was that kind of process like?
1: No, I was really lucky. My parents were very supportive of me going to college for whatever it is that I wanted to try and study, as long as I, you know, worked hard and and tried to do the best that I could. So I originally before I even got into sound design and like made an effort to learn what i was doing and try to look for programs in college before all that i thought i was going to go to college to be an author to be like a writer or a journalist or something i was reading a lot of like Joel Stein i i love Joel Stein's magazine pieces like his sort of comedic style i was like maybe i'll become a writer like you know i like reading and so i thought that's what i was going to do just cuz i had no better ideas but then i was like you know what maybe i could actually go for something more technical something like editing audio or film audio or something so i actually applied to the first college i went to Eugene Lang College for one year in New York City. I went there because they had a budding audio program and they were, you know, doing a lot of podcast editing and stuff. And then a year into college there, I sort of had, you know, this moment with a professor where I was like, listen, I feel like I've done all the classes already in my first year. Like I took three of them and like, here I am. And I want to do like three more years of this. Like, can I do this at this college? And he said, you know what? I have to be honest, like, you're going to have to transfer if you want to do that. So I was like, okay, that's what I'll do. And so I transferred to Emerson in Boston. Which I knew had a robust film audio program, but I also knew did not have the best or like the most readily available game audio classes out there. Which, I mean, I haven't applied to college in a number of years now, but I imagine it's like pretty similar now. It's kind of hard to find a game audio program at, you know, a big college. So, yeah, I went to Emerson and studied all the film audio i could there and on the back burner through youtube through game audio meetups through you know talking to you bothering you on online <laughs> like i was uh, you know kind of had this like game audio on the back burner and all my classmates were like oh yeah i'm gonna do podcast editing and they're at the new york city conventions talking about oh you know i'm, I'm thinking i want to go into to work at skywalker and i'm kind of always like do you guys not understand that like games are where it's at? Like This is so much more exciting. Like I was so into it. So I spent all my extra energy kind of like making that happen, trying to make game audio happen for me.
0: And that's what I did at college, was just exactly that pretty much. So where did that initial interest come from though? Because you were in an environment where not everyone was doing game audio. That wasn't a thing. You didn't have a game audio professor. There wasn't a game audio group. So where did that initially come up?
1: It came up because I love games. I love games. I love to play new stuff. I love to hear what people are doing. And so like that love of games is what made me think like a career in this field would be so much better than a career in film audio to me. And I just think like I've had so many powerful experiences with some, you know, with movies too, but with games especially where games are such a fun simple way to just escape for, for a little bit and just have a new experience and I think audio plays such a huge role in that. The the sounds that a game is playing in your headphones is really like taking you to that place, even more so than the graphics, in my opinion. I'm, I'm biased, but in my opinion. But so, yeah, like I think that chance to make that for someone else or the chance to take someone else somewhere on a journey for a little bit is what's kind of most fun to me. It's like, you know... You're making these soundscapes that, you know, when someone hears them, like you hope that the work just like disintegrates and it becomes this this whole kind of cohesive piece of art that like people are absorbed in and, and can sort of get some relief from their shitty day or whatever, just playing this fun thing and and going to a world. So that's what I love about it. That's kind of what inspires me about it, you know, and whether we achieve that or not is up to the people who play the games. But yeah, that's why I think at least for me, it's more powerful than something like film and the reason why like I didn't care if my classmates were not doing games is just because like. The experiences I had playing games and being so immersed in them was what made me feel like, okay, like I've had these experiences. I can create these for other people. I just have to work hard and figure out what I'm doing. So that's kind of where it all started for me.
0: Yeah, and you had this kind of interesting thing you hit on earlier about networking. You would go to all the game audio meetups. You'd, you'd quote-unquote bother me, even though you weren't bothering me. <laughs> but like it's this interesting thing where you went to a college that, you know, like you mentioned, didn't have this biggest game audio thing in the world. But just down the street, there was game audio stuff. You know, There was stuff in Boston happening. Berkeley had game audio stuff. We weren't too far away from each other. It's this interesting thing where just around the corner, your people were there, even if they weren't immediately around you. So when you were in that environment, how did you specifically start kind of getting your way in there so people knew you existed?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Did you ever go to Fig? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was my first experience. I got extra credit, I think, for a class going to BFIG. But I showed up to Boston Festival of Indie Games, which took place in two gymnasiums at MIT. It was basically like two floors of little card tables with either board games or you know, someone's indie game, teams of two, teams of three, like no more than five usually making these really cool indie games. And some of them were, you know, you'd walk past all these booths and there were two guys like writing code for a portal inspired kind of puzzle game. And you're like, oh, what is it? Like, I mean, it's just so cool. And like the community was so vibrant. And uh, I remember it being like, just, okay, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. Like this is a really cool meetup. So I would go to this. I I had a bunch of business cards printed that said, you know, Marshall McGee (laughs) game sound designer, which is a title that I was certainly not qualified at the time to print on anything. (laughs) You know, this is before I even made a single YouTube video, but I would go and show up and then hand this out. And I would say, I work for free. I don't do, I don't even charge. (laughs) I would say like, I just want a game to work on. Like, I don't even charge money. So like, just why would you not hire me? And, uh, even then I only got like two people in the whole festival to like respond to my email. <laughs> one of them was that portal game that I talked about, which never went anywhere. And another one was a little, uh, 2d game called Glitch's trip, which I don't even know if it ever released, but I made like 10 sounds for them. But yeah, it was just a fun community. And like, you meet a lot of weird people, a lot of like fun, idiosyncratic people that are like out there and and that's kind of like, okay, I'm in the right place. Like it feels very different than something like AES where it's like everyone's in button downs and you're like, hey, did you hear about this new this new microphone pickup response? It's great. You know, like I'd rather be with the weirdos that are like, you know, making the portal games. So that's kind of uh, how I knew I was doing the right thing when I was at BFig. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's that was me too. It's like knowing that the weirdos were there and you you felt at home essentially.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say fake, like again another thing that like nobody in my class had any reason why I went. Like I was asking people like you guys want to go to this thing? They're like, why would I go? This sounds horrible. I'm like, dude, this is the most interesting stuff in audio happening right now. Is like the little indie games where like some guy is like recording the sounds on his phone, taking them into Audacity, doing some weird repitching, and it's like slowed down, and you get like it just seemed like so fruitful for creativity as opposed to film audio where you're kind of like learning the standards and like executing them, you know? So that's kind of how I felt about it.
0: Yeah. And you're that was, you know, back in your early days of your career when you had the business cards where you said like you'd had no business putting game sound (laughs) designer on it. But over time you got those skills and while you're at college I think it was your final project or something like that was to do like the sound replacements and YouTube videos and stuff like that and those became a big hit those were those were a huge hit so can you walk me through that and how that kind of shifted your view of your career how people maybe people started reaching out how it gave you opportunities or didn't can you talk about all of that sort of stuff
1: yeah I think um Actually, so the story that I told on my YouTube video about how I got into the industry, which mentions that it was my final project, is true. But there's also another portion of it that's kind of left out of that video, which is that before that, it was the release week of Niantic's Pokemon Go game. And I downloaded this game and it had no sounds, right? I mean, the game had no sound. It it was like three UI sounds and nothing for catching a Pokemon, whatever. That infuriated me. I was like, what? So this is kind of the backstory of Waveform even before that story of, that I put in the YouTube video. But I made a video like basically telling the, like, the developers, you got to put sounds in this game. <laughs> so I made, it was like a 10 minute video. Like here's what I would have done if I was putting sounds in this game. I made a bunch of terrible sounds. I made a YouTube video saying, here's what it should sound like when you catch Pokemon, whatever. So I did that the summer going into my senior year of college. And I was like, you know what, making a video was kind of fun. And that's when I had the idea when the last semester rolled around and I had to come up with a capstone project for my audio degree. That was what I did. As I said, I'll make three or four educational videos on different game audio topics. And here's what they'll be, they'll cover this, 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 and I'll teach myself by teaching others. Like I'll, I'll learn these things along the way. And my professor was like, okay, as long as you do something linear too, because my professor was in film. So they were like, okay, you need your linear stuff and then you can do your non-linear game sound design. For those that don't know the difference, it's kind of just one being playback the same way each time, linear like a film, and then nonlinear being a game, which is more, um, you can't tell which order things will play back in or what the mix will be, et cetera. So that's what I did. That senior project was the first three episodes of Waveform, I think maybe four. And when I graduated, I was just like, you know what? I mean, I think I lucked out and had like a few thousand views on one of them, which is more than I thought I would get. I was like, whoa, like a few thousand people. Like that was really exciting to me. So, I was like, well, what if I just make a few more? You know because I was looking for work anyway, whatever it's nice to be able to send it as a portfolio piece like that you also educate in the industry and not just you know the work that you've done professionally, which I had none at that point. So I sent over YouTube videos instead for my resumes, and that's kind of what transitioned me The, the opportunities that that opened up for me were literally everything. I mean, I, I owe everything to those videos because that's how I got my first internship with Avalanche, which happened a couple of weeks after graduating i mentioned this in in the video that I made on how I got into the industry, but I sent out an email to maybe a dozen or more studios that I was interested in working at or interning for. And I just said, hey, here's my work. Here's my YouTube channel. I'm in your city next week already. And I lied. I said I was in the city already. And then I just was like, oh, can I stop by? And my plan was that if any of them responded, I would just fly to the city and and like show up. And so I only got one response. And it was my future manager, Jason Cantor at Avalanche, who said, uh, you know, the videos were cool, like, you know, you want to stop by and whatever. And so I said, yeah, and uh, it became a thing. So I owe everything to YouTube. It's kickstarted my career and sort of given me the whole, the whole career that I have, which is, uh, I'm really lucky.
0: And yeah, when it uh, became a thing at Avalanche, can you talk about that back and forth? Because I imagine you didn't fly there and they're like, we love you, Marshall, and then hired you on the spot. I'm sure there's a back and forth. I'm sure there are emails. So can you walk through that process?
1: Yeah, I wish I remembered more of it. (laughs) There's a funny part of it too, which is, That I showed up dressed in, like, a button-up shirt and, like, with tucked into a belt with, like, nice shoes (laughs) and my hair was combed, whatever. And I walk in, of course, like, everyone's wearing, like, ripped t-shirts and, like, they're all working games. Like, they're crunching on Just Cause 4 and they didn't want to even talk to me. And so I was, like, (laughs) this kid, like, hey, guys, I'm ready to do game sound with all Like, it was just terrible, but... Yeah. I I sat down with them and I wrote down on an index card. I had like three main questions that I had for them. Cause like, again, at this point I was certainly not like going to say, okay, when's my job? Like, when can I have a job? Like, because in my mind, I'm like, I have to use this opportunity to like meet people, not to try and fish for a job. I think people like can smell that if you're like, there's blood in the water, like, oh, this kid wants a job. Like, mm-hmm. but I did want a job. So <laughs> I said to them, my, my three main questions were something like, how many sounds do you record versus what you use in libraries? That was really interesting to me at the time. I wanted to know how sounds were managed, like and loaded and unloaded for memory and things like that, because I didn't know anything about that. And I can't remember what else I asked, but they were just pretty basic questions. Oh, yeah, like Fmod wise middleware type stuff, too. So that's what I asked them. And we had this conversation whatever we sat down and chatted for maybe an hour and then i left and then like you said i just had to wait it was a waiting game i was applying to other things and then a couple months later an email came through and said hey we're um you know hiring three interns for the summer and we're looking for one audio person do you have any interest in applying and i said sure and that, and that's kind of how it started i transitioned to a contractor role after the internship and i stayed there for you know two and a half years almost i forget yeah I think two and a half years
0: there's something really important to what you mentioned about the questions you asked, even though they like nowadays probably seem basic. There are questions only a pro who's interested in the game industry would ask, and I think that sort of thing is so important for people who are breaking in because a lot of people will just be like, How do you sound? yeah, like this is just so basic, and you're like, yeah, not a great question overall, so right
1: and I mean, I certainly remember a time where I would have asked a question that vague. And it was just simply when I was just starting out. And like at that point, I wouldn't have even wanted the opportunity to sit down with Avalanche yet because I wasn't ready to ask the right questions. I wasn't really primed to even know what the questions were. So, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, if you have the opportunity to talk to people who eventually could one day be your employer, and you're talking about like, you really want this opportunity to hit hard and you want to ask the right questions. There's a lot that goes into even just that. Like the research of that is arguably more important than the questions you're actually asking. So, giving the right impression, I think, is really important, especially when you're young and don't have the ship titles. Like when you when you're just trying to break in. So, I I think you've hit the nail on the head with that for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and there's. All sorts of kind of advice in the game audio industry now, which is great. I think that's a really good thing. Cause I think when you and I first started, there was nothing. <laughs> there's literally nothing, literally nothing. Maybe a couple articles here and there, but they're like written in 1984 and that was it. So when you tell people, when you're talking to people who are getting into the industry, like what do you tell them if they're thinking, like, oh my God, I keep getting rejected, there are no jobs to apply for. That's a really common thing in sound design, either rejections or just no jobs existing. So what do you tell those people?
1: I still get rejected. There are still jobs that I don't get. And that's part of the industry. Creative work is always going to be like that, whether it's sound or whether it's, you know, you're a graphic designer doing that. Like, that's just part of the gig. And I think the two most important things, if you know in your heart that you want to work in this industry and that you love doing game audio or that you love doing film audio or whatever, and you want to make a business out of it and make a career out of it, you can, but you have to digest rejection well and you have to move on quickly because those two things are what keep the whole machine running. And it's really never personal. I mean, that's the thing about it. You have to understand is that it's just not personal. Like these people are looking for something and you're not the right person to provide that service. That doesn't say anything about you as a person. It just says, you know, it just says it's not the right match, which is fine. I mean, it's like dating. It's like, you know, it is what it is. You just, there's no hard feelings. You just have to move on and, and, uh, and keep trying. And that took me a while to learn too, but it's kind of hard to, like say how do you learn that lesson or whatever it's just something you kind of have to internalize how to take things not personally and how to you know move on quickly and and keep looking for work cuz it's so important i mean you've had that experience too everyone who works in a creative field has so no one just you know gets a job right away and everything go, they get all the money and it's it doesn't work like that so you know what i would tell people like i gave my business card to a hundred people at BFIG working for free. And I only got two responses. <laughs> so if free work doesn't get, I mean, how, how much do you think paid work that it's it's a little harder than that? So, although, I mean, that's just kind of a silly example, but it is what it is. It goes to show that it, it's hard to get people to care about your creative work and and it's, it's part of the job. You have to sell yourself and you have to, you know, it's, it's part of it.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a massive, massive part of it. It's like almost if not more important than actually doing the thing is making people care about the thing that you do.
1: Right. I do want to be clear, though. I wish it wasn't part of it. Like, I'm not very naturally business minded. I had to kind of like learn these things as I was going along as far as like Contracts. I mean, you know, Akash, I've asked you for a contract templates, God knows how many times. But um, yeah, I was like, what do I do with this? Like, how do I make sure I get this in my contract, whatever? And so I've, I mean, I'm not even naturally interested in the business side of it. I really just want to get my microphone, record some cool shit, make some cool sounds and give a player an experience. I don't want to have to care about business, but you have to. I mean, it's part of it. So that's something that, you know, it took me some time to learn, but yeah, I I wish that it wasn't part of it. (laughs) It is what it is. I know you're not like that. You like the business side of it.
0: Yeah, but that's—I think that's most people, though. I really do think it's most people who just want to grab a microphone and record. I'm the asshole who's in the back, like, yeah, tax loss harvesting, while I like push my glasses into my skull. But you know what? I, I'm glad that there are people like you out there who are like focused on the creative experience because that's also just as necessary.
1: And I'm glad there are people like you to send me your contract templates so that I can use them <laughs> and,
0: and get freelance work. <laughs> it's a—it's a beautiful symbiotic parasitic relationship we have. With yeah, each other. I'm the
1: little fish. <laughs> (laughs) That sucks onto the side of the shark. That's me. And I know that's where I belong. That's the difference between you and me.
0: I love it. I love it. So uh, one thing is that I hear a lot, and maybe you've heard it a lot too, is I always get emails of people saying like, well, you're in the US, it's easy. Or like, how do I break in outside of the US? Like the game industry is small. I've even heard that from people who live in big hub cities like London or Berlin or something like that. And there's this mentality of like, oh, the game industry only exists in Los Angeles and Seattle. And you're not even in either of those cities.
1: Yeah, I'm in a small town in Connecticut.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So can you talk to that, like how global this industry is and how it is possible to find work?
1: Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, and to be fair, I've not done a ton of work with out of the US clients, but I know for sure that I've worked with clients where other sound designers were working from outside the US. So in that direction, for sure. The thing everyone learned during COVID is that you can work from anywhere as long as you do a good job and deliver your stuff on time. So if there's any time in history where you can do game audio work from anywhere in the world, it's right now. I mean, if my coworkers were in any other country, I wouldn't even probably know. So yeah, I think it's inspiring the level of global access that game devs right now have to game audio work. I mean, you can find someone talented in China, someone talented in India, somewhere, and they just they do the work, they send it over, and it's great. I mean, it's wide open. And uh, it's funny that people's instinct is to think that it's not wide open or that somehow you have to be in the US because it's so untrue. I know people doing great work from all over the world. Small devs are popping up everywhere, and they need audio work. It is what it is. Like, you got to jump in and find it. it. It's all around you. You know.
0: Speaking of jumping in and finding it, there's this kind of belief that I had when I was starting: of Oh my god, all the people at AAA studios, the day they start working, they obviously know everything and know what what's going on and have a feeling of being perfect. But I have a feeling now that the idea of not knowing what you're doing is pretty common, even in a AAA studio. So can you talk to me like first days as an intern, first days as a contractor, did you feel like you had everything perfectly handled or was there a lot of like, oh, God, I don't know? Dude, you could
1: not overstate how little I knew at that time. It's really remarkable. Like, I think the first time I opened FMOD was at Avalanche Studios at my work PC. So like... That's not to say you shouldn't open F yourself before, <laughs> but but I'm not <laughs> recommending that. That's what you do, but like I think it says more about where you're at if you're like have this idea that everyone around you is smarter than you. The confidence level that you feel is derived directly from how competent you feel at what you're doing day to day. So if you er- initially feel when you start a job, oh my god, like I'm in deep. I don't know what I'm doing. Like when I talk in meetings, no one cares, and all this stuff. Like it's probably a reflection of you getting the hang of things and, and just needing to learn some stuff. So like being new and fresh and feeling like everyone around you knows more is like fuel on the fire for you eventually being one of those people that someone's like, Oh my God, he knows everything, whatever. Like, I feel like it's, it's a stepping stone. It's like, just like getting comfortable with rejection when looking for work is super important. Getting comfortable with not being the smartest person in the room is also really important. There are times when I have meetings with engineers and they're just like, Talking about this audio stuff that I've never heard about and I'm like, you know You have to not be afraid to just kind of pause the meeting and say hey Can someone describe to me what that even means because I really have no idea and you find that I think people's fear is that someone would say What you don't know what that is. Are you kidding me? That's crazy. You how did you get this job? And you don't know what that is. That's never happened. It's not going to happen What's gonna happen is they say, oh, yeah, sorry, you know, it's this no worries and like, then you learn something and you weren't freaking out. So like, that's something that you have to learn too, is like <laughs> what you think people's perception of you will be when you ask a dumb question is not what their perception will act- actually be. It's like, just be comfortable being being dumb. And that's just, it's essential for life outside of work. <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm certainly comfortable being dumb. <laughs> like that's that's, it's half my job.
0: <laughs> that's beautifully, beautifully well put. And there's Kind of related to our jobs, yeah, there is some, like, fun dumbness to sound design. And I've noticed with a lot of, like, newer people who are kind of breaking in, it's it's such a weird, esoteric thing. Like, music, when we're growing up, it's easy to learn how to practice it. Do these scales, learn these pieces, play play live, learn production. Like, those things have more steps than sound design does. So... Because it's such an esoteric thing, how do you recommend people practice? How do you recommend people get good at sound design? That is a question I hear all the time.
1: It's such a good question. One thing that that brings to mind is one of my most popular YouTube comments when I was making videos more regularly was, do you have any book recommendations for sound design? And I always thought Would you read a book to learn how to do a kickflip? You're not going to be able to do it. Get on the skateboard. It's not going to work. So like, I think people have to find their own ways to practice that they think work best for them. For me, like my favorite way to practice sound design is to see an awesome sound and hear an awesome sound in a game, take a video screen cap of it, put it in my DAW and try to design a better version of it. So that's my favorite thing. Oh my God, this weapon sound I just heard is super cool in Resident Evil or whatever. Take a video, put it in my DAW and for like two hours or whatever it takes, I just want to design something that when I A-B it, it sounds at least that cool, if not cooler. I try to make it cooler and it often is not cooler. So that I think is fun practice. And when you get that method down of practice, like a method that works for you, maybe your method is, you know, you want to take a video outside of certain things happening and then try to like go for a walk in New York City and take a video, whatever. Maybe, maybe that's what you do and then you sound design that, or maybe it's just soundscapes that you do that don't require any video at all. Maybe that's the way you like to practice, whatever it is. But I think it's important once you find a method that you think is exciting to practice, that the source material you try to design for is different and outside your comfort zone every time. So oh, I saw that gun. Although, you know, I like that, but I don't like the clip because I don't want to use it to practice because I don't know how I'm going to do the lightning sounds. That's kind of weird. I've never really made a sound like that. Maybe I'll pick this gun that I have samples for already. No, do the one that you don't know how to do. For a while, for me, that was like creature sounds. When I was working on Just Cause, we had like like for over a year, I was working on things like Foley, Footsteps, GUI sounds, you know, destruction audio, physics, audio, things like that, like real objects hitting other real objects, things like that. Then DLC two came around and I was doing all the sound design for this like crazy, like bug infestation, alien apocalypse DLC, which I was like, Oh my God, like I'd never made like a real creature sound. Like I've never, um, layered together anything cool. So on the weekends I would say, okay, well, you know, how do people do it? And like you said, do some research take some videos of like dark souls creatures. Okay. If I had to do this, well, how would I do it? How could I make it cooler? How could I make it fit this project I'm working on? And in sort of that long-winded explanation, I guess like the conclusion you come to is like that the way you practice should be based on the results you want to achieve for a particular thing. Not exactly like it's not just like doing reps in the gym. Like you have to, you have to change the way you're doing the reps to meet your new goals of what you want to be good at as a sound designer, because you can take the best vehicle sound designer in the world and put them on creatures and they might not know what they're doing, which is you know the skills are not hundred percent transferable across the board so I think that's super important and um in in terms of like practicing skills of like f mod and ys and like the depths of like the actual software there, that's just a matter of like trolling the internet and like <laughs> just brute forcing it at least in my mind because. You know, YouTube and the internet will teach you everything you need to know about WISE if you're, if you have the patience to actually look for it. So that's kind of how you practice that. But,
0: that beautifully answered the question. And you even mentioned some some good golden nugs, like you even mentioned, you know, you're taking the small clip of a gunshot from Resident Evil, for example. You're not taking a two and a half hour scene and designing every single sound. You're doing these micro bits of practice.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It's, it's really important.
1: You're so right. Yeah, because a lot of people I've seen, a lot of young people graduating I see make that mistake. And you probably get resumes that are like this, too, where it's a long ambient clip And it's like, not only was that maybe not the best use of your time to design that, but like as a sound designer, like going over that, like as a, as someone hiring or whatever, I'm just going to listen to like four seconds of it. And I have the idea of like what you were going for. So like a a five minute ambient clip is not exactly like, like you said, micro practice, like I'll do 10 seconds of cool ambience. I'll do five seconds of the shield sound from the Witcher three, which is one that I did recently, like stuff like that. You know, it's like, you just have to take like little inspirational things and they also fit into your day better. Cause like, oh, I only have 15 minutes to work. Like, and then I have to go get groceries and then I have to go back to whatever. You can do a fun little thing like that. Whereas like, if you're working on a two hour clip, you're going to be like, well, it's not even worth starting that today because I have to go to the grocery store (laughs) or whatever. So like the work is so much more digestible and it actually like becomes more efficient because the time you use, like you would have sat on the couch and and read through Twitter if you were doing a longer project because you wouldn't have even wanted to start it.
0: Yeah, it's totally. Yeah. And speaking of like starting and practice and all that, like nowadays, what are you focused on learning? What sorts of things are you practicing, learning, thinking about?
1: Yeah, it's it's honestly not a lot of asset design because, well, this I've been working mostly with Roblox lately, And, um, the work there is much more zoomed out. It's much more, you know, about working with tools than it is about working with particular assets. But I will say like, if I had to say asset design right now, if there's one thing I'm working on, it's just, I'm I'm trying to like make my sounds that I'm recording feel binaural without actually being like recorded with a binaural mic, like using convolution reverb to sort of get the feel of a room and using panning and like you know, spatialization to kind of get things to feel a certain way without needing to buy an expensive microphone. And that's something I'm toying around with. I don't know if I, I I haven't hit the mark yet, but I'm trying to like make interesting soundscapes and effects that feel binaural by using techniques that, you know, don't involve me buying a microphone that's shaped like a head. So (laughs) that's what I'm trying to do now, but that's maybe not that interesting to people.
0: No, that's super cool. And there's something in there of like, even if the results aren't there, I'm sure you're learning every step of the way. Yeah,
1: yeah. And like convolution reverb is something that's I'm trying to learn more about too. Like exactly what recording a good impulse of a room is like and how do you edit the impulse? There's no rule that says you have to use an impulse for a convolution profile. So I can record myself for two seconds screaming and use that as my convolution profile. So when I discovered that and I was sort of putting... Um, you know weird sounds into a convolution profile to make robotic like weird effects and things like that I was like this is really interesting I wonder you know if you could learn anything about like what types of frequencies and what types of initial sounds work well as convolution profiles Um, that's another thing that I mess around with all the time what what about you what are you working on
0: (laughs) I mean my my learnings of course are so business focused right Uh, it's like, it's like, all right, client negotiations, business, all that sort of stuff. But so like, it's, it's this beautiful push pull where I'm sure I'll text you and be like, how, how am monster? (laughs) Uh, but yeah, like that's, that's, that's what I like to do. I I'll, uh, typically go to like a negotiation seminar every single year. Nice. Or I'll, I'll learn about how to write well so I can teach well, so I can get people to like jump into the industry and make more money Mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) same same to you friend Uh, so uh, one question that I ask near the end of every single episode is when you first started in this field it could be even in high school when you were just thinking about music when you first started out how did you kind of define success in your life and how has that changed over time and how do you define it now
1: well the definition completely changes for sure Yeah, and in a way that maybe you don't expect initially because when I was a junior in college and sort of just coming to terms with, okay, I'm going to make a run for this game audio career that I want to do. I would have defined success at that point as just getting a job, like getting a project of any kind, like making $60 would have been like, oh my God, I was working for free and now I'm making $60, you know, like, (laughs) and, uh, that's kind of what it felt like at BFIG was like oh my god it would be crazy if like they were so happy with my work that they actually paid me like oh my god then i could like buy food with you know it, it wasn't like that dire like i was like oh my god i need this food like this to survive it was much more like casual than that but <laughs> but uh yeah it, i would have defined success as being paid for creative work at that point point. and uh then working at avalanche a year into a triple a job you kind of reframe what you think of as success and my What I think of as success is now much more about my personal life and about, you know, what I do outside of work than it is about, you know, my career. And, uh, it's a very fortunate and lucky thing to say that. But, um, when you grind and ship a game in AAA and you're like, okay, I don't define like shipping another AAA as this like thing that I need to do now, because it's like, I've kind of already done it. And I get to decide kind of where I want my career to go in terms of like, balancing my, my work and my life. So I think my sort of, I would summarize it as saying like my definition of a success has, has become much less work focused and uh, much more like, you know, I really want to try to bake a loaf of bread or something like even something that simple. Like all my time was at Avalanche, I was commuting like an hour and a half into the city and back each way. And then when I was at people can fly, I was commuting like two hours or more each way into New York city every day for a contract role. Like When you're doing that, like your goals are like, okay, I need to ship titles. I need to like get that those notches under my belt. And and it is what it is. Like there's a time and place for that for sure. But I would say, like, I've definitely relaxed those a little bit. Like I'm I'm really not naturally a competitive person. I don't like have this urge to sort of like, oh my God, I'm sitting on my ass watching anime, like I'm failing. Like I need to be working out. Like, as I've gotten a little bit older, I've been sort of more focused on like my personal goals than my work goals which is maybe not what the sound business podcast people need to hear right now. Maybe they need to hear me say,
0: get back to the office. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a very good thing you didn't say that.
1: it, It is what it is. I think it's different for everyone. Like, who am I to tell someone what their measure of success should be? It's a very personal thing.
0: I love it. I love it. What a beautiful note to end on. So one last question that I ask everybody is where can people find you? YouTube channels, all that stuff.
1: They can blow the cobwebs off my YouTube channel and find <laughs> dozens of videos from uh, years ago. No, I uh, yeah, YouTube. I don't really have social media, so YouTube basically is is good. And uh, if you really dig the YouTube videos and want to watch some more like hour-long breakdowns, you can join the Patreon. That's another thing too.:
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time. This is awesome.
1: Yeah, of course, man. Yeah, it was fun.
0: That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you wanna learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects. They'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game, music and sound. Thanks so much. and I'll see you next time.